the rabid dogs of Galifron can be trained to drool at the ring of a bell. It doesn't stop them from biting. We welcome you to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. Foxes run from drooling dogs. Um, Foxes run from drooling dogs. What? What was? Your, what's your name? I am the doctor. Huh? I am the doctor. Uh, what? No, tell us. I am the patient. I am the patient. Foxes run from drooling dogs. Ryan, snap out of it, man. Fuck, fuck. Huh? Ryan, you, you with us? Oh, I'm sorry. You must have said a magic word or something. I don't know where I was there for a minute. The magic word? Where's Cherry? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'll leave that in or not. (laughs) Moving on. As I said, this is Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. This week, Ryan, we're reviewing the episode Mad to be Saved. Not to be mistaken with Mad About You. Right. Different show entirely. It was a great show. It was a great show. We'll probably do a Mad About You podcast after we get done with Andromeda. I highly doubt it. Oh, but okay. Yeah. We, we could. We still have the commish. Okay. Yeah, that's right. The commish. So, anyway. But still, I mean, it was a solid show. It was a solid show. Yeah. Ah, oh, the 90s. Mm. But that's not what we're talking about this evening. No, instead, Mad to be Saved. Um... Ryan, do you mind if I do a little bit of trivia before we get started? I was hoping you would. Absolutely. I've got some. So, by way of uh, some trivial facts that I have for this episode, we have uh, the episode written by Matt Keen and Joe Rankmeyer. Once again, the duo is back and in full swing for this episode. The episode was directed by Jorge Montesi. Now, interesting story with our director here. He uh, is an actor turned director and He's done just about everything else in television, from producer to uh, the technical aspects of filming and whatnot, uh, in both television and in film production. He started acting in the early 80s in film and television. He had several appearances on the television series 21 Jump Street, and eventually he would have a recurring role on the Battlestar Galactica spinoff, Caprica. He may be most recognizable to many of our viewers as the Galtrell from that Caprica series. In the mid-80s, he would begin occupying the director's chair for what would become an extensive list of projects in film and television. He would direct several episodes of 21 Jump Street, NYPD Blue, The Outer Limits, uh, just to name a few. But he would actually find a sort of home on the Andromeda series. Uh, He began directing the show with the episode Ouroboros, and then he did The Things We Cannot Change. You remember that one, don't you, Ryan? Um, I'm trying not to, but yeah, yeah, I do remember. <laughs> Clip show. <laughs> now, this is Montesi's third directing effort in the Andromeda show, and he will go on to direct another 17 episodes of Andromeda before we reach the end of this series. Now, our guest appearances. We had quite a few. Uh, among the mentions that what we have here is Angelica. Uh, she was played by Krista Ray. 
Now, she has a rather short career on IMDb. It begins with an independent Canadian film titled 237, and also includes roles in The Chris Isaac Show and the series Jeremiah, uh, before she appeared here in Andromeda. Now, interestingly enough, her acting credits end around 2006. The man Oderick, whose kung fu is better than either of ours, Ryan, is none other than British Columbian-born Byron Lawson. Well, you didn't see me in my prime. I, I, you're right, I didn't. Uh, not surprisingly, Byron's credits not only include many acting uh, roles in television and film, but also many stunt roles, as you might well imagine. Lynn Doncheff, he plays Numa in this episode. That is uh, the persona of the good doctor uh, in disguise. Now, Lynn most famously plays Jack Hawkland in the 1983 cult classic Strange Brew. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, I loved that movie. Yeah, we, I think most of us did. Uh, Donna White, she plays Floridalis. Now, she's been in everything from MacGyver to The X-Files to Stargate SG-1, even in uh, episodes of Eureka as well. Finally, I wanted to I'm mention... I'm sorry, who was... That was the the older lady? The lady curled up on Becca's uh, bed on the Maru. Okay. That likes soft things. All right. See, I was wondering what her name was, because I swear... I worked with her at a telemarketing place when I was in high school. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. You'll have to tell me about that sometime. I think I just did. Okay. Yeah. Very well. Uh, Mina Arian Mina plays Dr. Yanomani. Now, his television credits begin in the mid-1970s, and he's been in many a film and in television roles. Uh, among his film roles, you might recognize some of these titles, The 13th Warrior, uh, the year 2000's Mission to Mars, and The Chronicles of Riddick. Now, in 1992, he played a hypnotist, as you might well remember, on a beloved television series of ours, The Commish. All right. Yeah, so we have yet another Commish alum this week. And then one last thing I wanted to do was just to give a shout-out to the costume and wardrobe department. Now, I know there's more than just two people I would I would think in the costume and wardrobe department, but the only listed credits I could find for the department were Leslie Cairns, who's listed as the cutter, and Roma Nook, listed as the seamstress. And I wanted to give them a shout out uh, just because of the elaborate jumpsuits that these folks were were in. Uh, they had to make jumpsuits for all of these guest actors that were on here, and they were I thought pretty interesting, as we'll get to talk about a little bit more when we talk about uh, the production value of the show. But I just wanted to mention their names in this segment, along with our guest actors and director as well. So you have one of them is the cutter, and the other is the sewer, Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. And you can't do both? Is this like a union thing? (laughs) It it might well be. Hmm. Um, And I'm sure there's probably other people that helped and assisted with this, but these are the two names that I could uh, that I could find. Right. So there was no credit for assistant to the cutter. (laughs) Apparently not. Mm. So anyway, that's what I've got for fun facts. We've got an episode to summarize here. Ryan, why don't you get started on that for us? All right, I'll do it. Mad to be saved. The Andromeda receives a distress signal from a freighter fleeing the Galifron system, a system from which no one has ever escaped. Ever. The Andromeda catches the out-of-control freighter after receiving heavy damage from pursuing forces. 
Once aboard, Dylan and Tyr go in to find refugees in yellow jumpsuits in bad shape starved of oxygen. Their behavior seems a bit erratic, probably, as Rami suggests, due to hypoxia. The most lucid of the group calls herself Angelica and claims to be the leader of the resistance group fleeing from Galifron. She and Dylan hit it off immediately. Crew members find refugees all over the ship engaging in bizarre and seemingly nonsensical behavior. A few are in Harper's shop playing with his dangerous power tools, while one tries to impress Tyr with his knowledge of philosophy and martial arts, another discusses the marvels of botany with trance and claims to have a beautiful person trapped inside of him, while another goes crazy on Becca when she finds out she was a ship's captain. Apparently their last captain, Captain Higgins, didn't treat them that well. So what happened to Captain Higgins? Well, Rami finds his brain in a box for which Angelica claims responsibility. You see, they were ready to leave Galifron when they heard that a Commonwealth vessel was near, but he refused, so she took the matter into her own hands to get her people away. Back in the machine shop, a group has taken Harper hostage and asked for their demands to be met. Their demands are... Well, they simply want... I don't know. How about Harper? The one refugee from earlier has another go at Tyr, this time actually hitting and kicking him, which Tyr humors for a little bit before putting him on the ground. He says they can't do anything to him worse than the doctor. The doctor? Oh, now it's all coming together. These people are crazy. Yeah, crazy for wanting to be free. So they were put in an asylum where they eventually did go crazy, according to Angelica. The crew agrees that Harper is not a good candidate for the hostage, so Tyr makes a switch, letting Harper escape while he pushes them around a little. But even Tyr is no match for a well-placed electrode, which stuns him and they are able to overtake him. Then they start messing around with the anti-proton rods, which is bad news since if they break one of these things, the whole ship goes up in a big cloud of boom. Dylan asks Angelique to make them stop, but she says she can't because she's the doctor. She's the patient. She's the doctor. Okay, let's go with doctor. Dylan tells them he has the doctor they want so they can let Tyr go and torture her. But that's no good, as each of them also claim to be the doctor. Okay, I think we've got it figured out now. They're all claiming to be Dr. Yanomani, war criminal known for subjecting people to cruel psychological experiments and torture. By convincing all of the refugees that they are the doctor, he can escape in the crowd. Dylan makes a trip down to the machine shop and exposes the flower man for what he is underneath his disguise, the infamous Dr. Yanomani. He's taken directly to Holding, where he has a surprise for Dylan, a holographic message from the Commonwealth ordering his safe delivery to Commonwealth authorities along with the other patients, alive. So something that we've been sort of discovering, but not quite putting together to this point, is that saying the phrase, Defense systems has a similar effect on the patients as saying the word it to the Knights of Knee. They just go apy. Dylan has a hunch that the doctor has encoded information into their brains. Sure enough, brain scans of all the patients reveal the locations of Gallifron's defense satellites, making them vulnerable for Commonwealth forces to attack and overthrow the oppressive regime. Dr. Yanomani dies, and Dylan is going to take the refugees somewhere else. The end. Excellent sum- summary there, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, so this is where we uh, bring out some of the things we've observed mm-hmm. and that uh, we thought might have been funny. 
Um, I'm actually not going to start out with that. I'm just going to start out with one of the first things that we see okay. and my first impression when I saw it. I love Gallifreyan. Is, is that is that the word? Would that be it? Gallifreyan ship design. Oh I, yeah, I loved that ship that shows up that they have to that they have to rescue the the people out of. I mean, it had that H.R. Geiger um, uh, alien xenomorph type look about it. I yeah. thought it was really cool. The crested. That's what I thought it looked end. like from the front. Yeah, from the the aft view. Mm-hmm. That's behind, right? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> the aft view. I thought it it it, it resembled the. Uh, what was it the the rebel scout ship at the beginning of a new hope yeah very uh, yeah corvette okay yeah the rebel corvette uh blockade runner type mm-hmm. thing uh yeah excellent point i really liked that ship and if if you know me from this this show and and other conversations we have i'm all about ships yeah so if true. it's a good looking ship from the, from the get go i might actually stick around for the whole thing okay. and enjoy it and i did i did stick around for the whole thing Mm-hmm. Thus, our conversation here. Well, I'm glad that you did. Hey, Ethan, are you thirsty? Not anymore. Oh, I was going to say, would you like a nice Hawaiian punch? <laughs> uh, I actually have something along that line written down here. Oh, okay. If someone asks you if you like boxing, uh huh, don't respond. Okay. Yes or no. <laughs> just, just let it, let it go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was thinking maybe we could have done this for our opening bit. Oh really? Yeah, but I thought it was a little too on the nose. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Was that a dad joke? <laughs> that was a dad joke. Oh. Yes, it was. That was yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a dad twice over, so I'll take it. I'm, I'm glad to see we had a good excuse for breaking out the spacesuits again. Oh, uh, the EVAs. Yeah, the EVA suits. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did we see those last? That was in. That was in. Um, uh, the things we cannot change. Yeah, he's floating around in it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and now we have them to go into the ship. Um, which brings up the, the camera angle that we had looking at the ship, going through the ship mm-hmm. with the masks on the camera lens, you know, from Tears' perspective and from Dylan's perspective. I thought that was an interesting... It, it's not like trying to do split screen. <laughs> <laughs> I, it actually worked for me, mm-hmm. you know, watching the, the different little bit of camera play they had going on there. Just as long as they don't do it through the whole episode. <laughs> the, yeah, then it becomes something totally different and, yeah. and very annoying. Yeah, I, I can I can agree with that. It's it's good to see that a, another 20th century children's game survives 3,000 years. Which one was that? Oh, you didn't see that? When they were in the, the corridors there playing What Time Is It Mr. Fox with Becca? No. Oh, you didn't see that? No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> Do you know the game I'm talking about? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, that's why this is not funny to you. Okay. What time is it, Mr. Somebody Fox? out there is laughing okay. right now. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Look it up. Uh, I, I will. Okay. It was a good joke. Okay. <laughs> I I feel bad. You. I feel bad that I've ruined your observation slash joke uh, for this episode. Well, you haven't ruined it for me because I still think it's funny. Okay. All right. <laughs> well... Yeah. We'll put a pin in it next week. Okay. And I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I, I will belatedly laugh. Okay. All right. We're not going to remember to do that. No. No. <laughs> Kung Fu shot. Speaking of camera angles. 
Did you notice that? Uh, yeah, I was watching the episode. Okay, yeah. yeah I, <laughs> no, I, I thought again that was that was hilarious. Uh-huh. The uh, the tight camera zoom in mm-hmm. on both tier and uh, what did I say his name was Opalika? No, that's not it. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. The kung fu guy. Right. Um, no, I thought I thought that was actually really. But I, I, I it's the second it happened, I knew what was going on, <laughs> and it, it just. It's one of those light moments where it, you feel like the episode is letting you in mm-hmm. on the joke. You know, yeah. it, it was great. Well, I was waiting for uh, what was what did you say his name? Opalika? Are you just making that up? I, I just made that up. Uh, no, I, I can get the name. We, here. we can say Opalika. It doesn't you matter. You like Opalika? Yeah. Odric. Odric. That's not name. even close. <laughs> I like Opalika better. That that works for me. Well, you like that? Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I was waiting for him to be like wee wee <laughs> and Tyr would be like. Nah, nah. <laughs> Uh, Georgian one is that is that the ugly Betty? Yes, this is the ugly Betty moment. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's just Betty. Ugly Betty was a different show. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. Gosh, I need to go back and watch Enter the Fist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it. That's what it was. That's why I laughed at that <laughs> at that scene. It, it suddenly made me want to go watch Enter the Fist. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing: the comedic timing in the Dylan's quarters. That was fantastic. Just that whole, that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. I am I'm I'm finding that in this episode there were there weren't specific things happening that I thought, oh that's funny, that's humorous. I'm going to bring that up, or, you know, turn it and use it in this conversation. What I found was, you know, this episode was actually pretty well written as far as the humor. It was it was really good at making fun of itself. So it made it really easy to come up with stuff just to, to mention in this segment. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is the that whole sequence in Dylan's room as each crew member comes in and Angelica is changing <laughs> off in the corner and they see her mm-hmm. and they look at Dylan and you know, the knowing glances and, and Harper flashing the the <laughs> okay sign to him and everything. And, and of course, Rami coming in with the, the box with the brain in it, you know. But as they're looking around at each other, as that scene is concluding and Dylan's trying to dismiss them, did you notice Harper's expression? I, I think Harper's was actually the best of everyone. He has that, that moment of staring into the distance, not comprehending. And then the moment he does comprehend, the, the, the payoff of that look was just, it was awesome. I loved it. Um. Angelica didn't really seem to mind everyone being in there while she's trying to get dressed. Well, considering everything she's been through mm-hmm. and had to deal with, yeah. Not a big deal. Changing in front of nice people, that's okay. not even a blip on her radar. This is a vacation for her. <laughs> in a way, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it could be. Um, I thought there was actually one one weird shot. In the, the scene where everybody's uh, harassing Harper... Uh, you have different cut shots of different people with various dangerous tools that they have that they're threatening Harper uh, with. And then all of a sudden you cut to a girl drooling toothpaste while she's brushing her teeth. I don't know of which scene, which scene you're talking about. Oh, you don't, you don't remember that? No, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking uh-huh. about. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, was, it was kind of very... One of these things is not like the others. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very much so. Are they are they trying to, in case we haven't figured out yet that these people are crazy, these people are insane. I mean... Yeah, the, when I encountered the first time I watched it, it was 
disturbing, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, uncomfortable mm-hmm. on subsequent rewatches. <laughs> and, and to the point of asking that very question that you just you just kind of brought up there. Um, yes, we've established these are deranged people. Mm-hmm. Who came up with the idea of the toothbrush and the toothpaste? That Because that's just totally <laughs> out of left. I don't even think of crazy people doing things like that. Where did she get the toothbrush exactly. and the toothpaste? I mean, well, it must have been Harper's. It had to have been Harper's. She's using Harper's toothbrush? As gross as that sounds, I think there's probably bigger things to worry about. That's disgusting. <laughs> um, first of all, I don't think that we're going to be using toothbrushes 3,000 years from now. But you know what? You know, we, we still use adjustable crescent wrenches. We still use microwave ovens. Mm-hmm. We still use IBM monitors. That's right. We still use bolt cutters. <laughs> yes. And jigsaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was an aggressive jigsaw, though. <laughs> Did not... Did it seem like that went through the the bar or the grate a little quicker than what we're used to seeing in reality? Um, for me personally, yeah, I use jigsaws on a very regular basis. Yeah, in my line of work, um, I've never seen one cut that well. I think no. it would work that well cutting through something like, say, a foam pad. Yeah, but metal rebar or metal grating. I'm thinking the kickback on. <laughs> Something working that quick would put the guy that was holding it into the floor. Yeah, we'll see. But this is an area of power tools where the technology has improved in the next 3,000 years. Apparently. How is that? You're just saying it is. We saw it. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a bit exceedingly fast. Um, you know what? You mentioned that scene when they when they cut that. They're great when uh, Dylan and, and Becca are trying to sneak in. Yeah. The meanwhile, they're having their little discussion about, well, they just, we just let them take Harper, right? Right. Um, that was a cute discussion and everything. My question is, why do they have to crawl through that little Jeffrey's tube shoulder to shoulder? <laughs> yeah. It seems a little cramped. Yeah. Can't they go single file? I mean... I would go single file. You know, this is something, and, and here we are, uh, mark mark the time, 25 minutes, mm-hmm. Star Trek. Yeah. We've seen this thing happen in Star Trek, too. Um, yeah. Wrath, Wrath of Khan? Oh, no, no, no. Star Trek also. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, specifically, I'm thinking in, in Next Generation, where they crawl side by side. Mm-hmm. And that's, you, you're, you're absolutely right. In a situation like that, it's just as easy to talk to the person behind you or in front of you than it is having them right next to you. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, there is a camera in the Jeffrey's tube with you. Okay. Or the, the difference? crawl space with you. All right. Okay. Well, you know what? Going back to next gen, um, that is true because when I think of that, when you, when you said that, the visual I got in my mind was Jordy and Data <laughs> usually yeah. having some off-topic conversation mm-hmm. for eh, pretty... Sort of comedic purposes, maybe talking about Data's cat or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and and this is very much in that same vein. Yes, exactly. Is what we see here. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, you mentioned that about them unsuccessfully being able to sneak in, and yet, just a few moments later, Dylan is able to just basically storm the room by himself. 
I mean, he essentially walks in, drops down back behind everybody without anyone hearing him. Yeah. Where did he drop out of the ceiling from? <laughs> from the thing up there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I I'm, I miss. I totally missed that. <clears throat> oh yeah, there was a thing. There was a thing. You didn't see that, right? Well, neither did the did the. I almost said bad guys. They're not really bad guys. Neither did the uh, crazy people. Crazy people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they like being called that. I, I, what yeah. else would we like to call them? I don't know. The refugees. The jumpsuit posse. Okay. How about that? Yep. Okay. Speaking of the the jumpsuit posse. Uh, we have that moment I, I thought was quite humorous as well. The let's see what what was happening. I believe it was Oderick was cutting the hose and swinging around his little makeshift knife that he had, and uh, Dylan makes the exclamation, "What are you crazy?" <laughs> I thought that was an excellent setup mm-hmm. for the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, well played, mm-hmm. if, if a bit you know on the head, <laughs> bonk bonk on the head. You know, if you think busting fluorescent bulbs is fun, that's nothing compared to busting an anti-proton bulb. Big ship go boom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just imagine. <laughs> you've, you've done that, right? Oh, yeah. It's fun, Absolutely. right? It you is. Just, it was a blast. throw them in the, in the dumpster or whatever, and they, yeah, they explode, go all over the place, mm-hmm. makes a mess all over the street. It's, it's ne- good, never clean Never mind. Fun. Let's not discuss the environmental impact of what we're doing when, when that's happened. Oh, should, yeah. should we not be... Oh, that's Doing a big no-no. Oh. <laughs> I did not know that. Okay. Okay. Um, but I can. I think we can fairly say um, not near as bad as breaking anti-proton rods. Right. Okay. Not nearly as dangerous. Okay. So we're okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's what we can say. Hey, at least I'm not breaking anti-proton <laughs> Proton rods. rods. Yeah. Uh, sorry, officer. I. It's not, <laughs> not like I'm going to take out the whole block with this. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Let's uh, let's move on from that. Let's let's discuss some of the things that we've actually seen in this episode. What we've learned about this universe uh, that we see as depicted here in Mad to Be Saved. What what did we learn about the the Andromeda universe here that we can talk about? Hmm. Well, we we learned about a new system called uh, called Galifron. Yeah. Um, apparently, this has been around for. It's not new. It's new to us. Yes. Right. It's been around for a while, apparently. Mm-hmm. Probably billions of years. The civilization, probably not as long. Maybe not. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so these people are basically prisoners in their own home. Yes. Not allowed to leave Galifron ever. Um, one of the questions that I had regarding this is, okay, nobody's allowed. Is this like Hotel California? You can go there, right? Yeah. Okay, you just can't get you just, out. You can never leave. Okay, but but can people visit there? Can you go to Galifron? Yeah, I'm just I'm just asking for speculation because we don't get an answer to that in this episode. Yeah, but I'm just wondering. I mean, yeah, I mean a, a couple of things. Um, one one thing I'd like to know is did they name it after Doctor Who? Because you know, Gallifrey is the home planet that the Doctor is from. And we've got a lot of Doctor references in this episode. I'm just, hmm. I'm just wondering. That's purely yeah. speculation on my point. Okay. And I don't expect you to have an answer. Are you for asking it. if the Gallifronians <laughs> named it after Doctor Who, or if the, or if the <laughs> no, writers, no, if, if the, the writers, writers were naming it after Doctor Who, that's entirely plausible. But uh, anyway, yeah. so I thought that one, that's an interesting name. Two, I guess this is very much. Well, we were talking about police states mm-hmm. uh, last week. 
I think we're going to talk about it again this week. I think I think you're right. Um, but yeah, here we very much have a a police state. At least that's the state that this government exists in. It doesn't sound like the type of place that you would want to go visit. Apparently, they've been warring for decades, as as I understood uh, from from this episode. Okay, that wreaks havoc on tourist economies. I mean, the only reason you're going there is because you're a mercenary trying to make your way, make a, make a buck. Or you're an arms dealer <laughs> trying to arm the people there. Uh, any other kind of travel to and from there is minimal at, at, at best, and certainly not to go see the sites, because they've probably all been devastated anyway. Well, you never know. I mean, there could be some, some moon that still has some beautiful hot springs, beautiful this time of year. That's not a joke. I'm just saying. (laughs) There's no joke there. I'm I'm waiting for the punchline. I know. know, You're looking at me, and I'm like, (laughs) no, I'm just saying, you know, it could be there's there's something there that's just beautiful. Let's let's look at an allegory for today. Okay. Okay. I'm sure there's some beautiful places in North Korea. Now, as an American citizen... I have seen MASH, and there are not. There are not. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. North Korea... Uh, Southern California. I think it's a little different. Okay. But, okay. Um, you know, good on you for watching MASH. Mm-hmm. But as an American citizen, I have no inclination, nor do I have the ability to go sightseeing in North Korea. There, therefore, I do not have a desire to. I would think that the most of the people, the citizens of the galaxy, when they see Galifron on their travel itinerary, probably don't go there. Okay. Um, I would like to make a correction. Um, you said North Korea. Yes. So that makes my whole point moot. <laughs> because MASH is, of course, set so, in South Korea. Yeah, so. yeah that's, that is true. Yeah. Okay. I should have been paying attention. Okay. Well, you know what? I don't I don't really know what else there is to say about that. I mean, it was just it was just kind of the thought that, that, that came to me is, yeah, nobody's allowed out, but is it just the natives? Or is it just... Galifron- Galifronians that are not allowed out. Well, I, I think what we're circling around to is probably people of Gallifrey or Gallif- Gallifron mm-hmm. are the only ones there. You've probably got the odd freighter captain that flies in and out to bring supplies. Well, that's what I'm asking. Okay. Is, is yeah, you're saying, well, probably doesn't matter because nobody ever goes there. I'm just saying in the event that someone does go there, are they allowed back out? Well, um... I guess so. Otherwise, we don't have a show <laughs> with these crazy people. They just happen to kill their captain on their way out. Well, they weren't allowed out. They made a break for it. Right. Oh, I, I, yeah. Okay. I, okay. So when they say we made a break for it, had they already gotten off planet and the captain was holding them captive for whatever reason, or well, Gallifron- did they break off of the planet? Galifron is a system, not a planet. Okay. They're prisoners in the system. No one's allowed out of the system. Okay. Not the planet. I'm thinking of it just as a planet, Mm -hmm. so, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm catching up now. Okay. Well, you know what? In either place, yeah, it's it's not a good place. No. Yeah. No, certainly not a place you want to be. Probably not a good place to visit and just... Just a terrible way to, to keep up morale for your people. So I guess the next question we have right. along this line is, if if that's the case, it's a terrible place, a terrible place to be, um, 
And obviously there are terrible people doing terrible things to other people on this planet. Um, why is the Commonwealth protecting one of them and getting them off? Is it, it was, is it simply because they have to have that defense perimeter information? And if that's the case, does the way justify the means? I think this is the big conversation of this episode. Do you think we should table this and come back to it? I don't know why. Why come back to it? Okay, I mean th- this is it. No, no, you, no. You're right. This is yeah. This is kind of the the big yeah the lesson of that we learned from this. Um, first of all, it seems highly coincidental that the Andromeda just happens to be flying by the system when this occurs. Hmm. Okay. Right. I yeah. Mean, because that's that's the reason they made the break when they did. Because they knew Andromeda was there. Right. Yeah. But. Had Andromeda not been flying by, um, were they just going to send out another Commonwealth ship? I'm, I'm, I'm just a little bit confused as to why things worked out the way they did. Was there another Commonwealth vessel on the way out there? And then when they happened to see that, that the Andromeda was out there, maybe some of them thought, oh, this is it. Or maybe some of them thought, let's not wait for the next one and let's go now. Yeah. It, it stands to reason maybe the captain knew there was another Commonwealth ship on the way out there, and that's why he was holding them back. Could have been. But Andromeda just so happened to be there. They learned of it, and so the the, the jumpsuit posse mm-hmm. decided we have to go now. Mm-hmm. Even if so, could the Commonwealth not have just ordered the Andromeda out there? Or was the Andromeda... We don't know why the Andromeda was out there anyway. Right. Maybe the Andromeda was passing by on another mission from the Commonwealth. Possibly. That the Commonwealth gave them the mission with the intentions of knowing that they would have to pass right by Galifron in order to set this whole thing up. Yeah. It seems like an extremely difficult way of doing this. <clears throat> Unless unless that information is just so highly classified that even Dylan can't be trusted with knowing why he's going yeah. that direction. The the Commonwealth officer that we see briefly in the hologram that the doctor has, mm-hmm. that he shows to Dylan, uh, that officer doesn't directly address Dylan, does she? She doesn't ever say Captain Hunt. No, I guess not. Okay. So this is really just kind of a general order. Mm-hmm. You don't touch these people. Don't touch this doctor mm-hmm. because he's, he needs to be delivered to the Commonwealth. Um, Dylan doesn't act like he's on any kind of real mission anyway. He's just out flying his ship mm-hmm. amongst the stars is really what it feels like in this episode. That's the impression that I got anyway. Yeah, because he's not really part of the Commonwealth. Right, right. So, you know... Yeah, it's just this huge coincidence that Andromeda happens to be out there and that these people happen to know that they're out there and that they happen to understand this is Dylan Hunt, do-gooder of the universe. Um, If we're ever going to have a chance, it's with this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it happens because of plot. It happened because it had to happen. Mm -hmm. The, The real ethical question comes down to when Dylan learns the situation that this doctor is trying to escape. Um, and, and is he really trying to escape or is he really trying to get to the Commonwealth? I, I don't think we ever really established where exactly he was trying to go or just exactly how he was going 
to get there, right? Um, you know what? I He was a Commonwealth operative. Yeah? I mean, that's the impression I get. He was sent really? there by the Commonwealth. Really? That's how you viewed it? I Because I mean, here's the thing. In my mind, what I had pictured was he was a mad scientist. Oh, I on, believe he was. Yeah. I'm not saying that he wasn't that right. as well. Right. Yeah. I, 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 but I think he was just a mad scientist using Pavlon, Pavlovian uh, techniques to train these people. Mm-hmm. And he, but he was a resident there of that system. And through spies or contacts through of the Commonwealth, they were able to basically recruit him and say, "Hey, uh, can you can you smuggle out information for us to use using the techniques that you're already developing?" And I think he 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 did. Mm-hmm. Um, his motivation for leaving, I mean, apparently he had a good gig doing whatever he wanted in the Gallifreyan system. Uh, we don't know what his motivation for leaving is. It doesn't seem like his motivation was to do a good thing by delivering this information to the Commonwealth. It sounded to me like he was, with that silly grin and that villain's mustache and that twinkle in his eye, he was just, he was happy to be off the hook and able to exploit whatever uh, exit door he could. Okay, then what's in it for him? Well, apparently nothing, because he was dying and died at the end of the episode, (laughs) inexplicably. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which, there again, um, why leave? If if he was that close to death, I don't know. There's a lot of gaps in in Yanamani's story. He must have wanted this information to get out. If he didn't want to, there's no reason for him to have done it. Yeah. Um, I mean, is he... Is he a, a Gallifranian? We don't know. I mean, because they just say he's a war criminal, right? That's yeah. all Rami comes back with, is just that he's this notorious war criminal. He's a bad guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, is it just in the, the Gallifron Wars, or is this, this something else? Is this, is this bigger? Did he, did he get his reputation elsewhere, mm-hmm. and he's made his way to this yeah. system? I mean, did he infiltrate Galf- Gal- Did he infiltrate Gallifron? With that disguise, and pretend like he was a, a Gallifron, and that he wanted to be free, so that's why they put him in, in the... See, I'm wondering if that whole, they wanted to be free and got imprisoned, I wonder if that's not just something that he's programmed into their heads, to say, as a cover, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's nothing for a police state like that to just round people up and put them in a mad scientist's laboratory they can't say once they get on the ship and are facing dylan they can't say we were lab rats in a mad scientist plot mm-hmm. obviously he's he's put some sort of cover story um into their into their minds and so that that to me just sounded like the cover story that he put in there well it's you say obviously i say possibly okay i mean if, if you're going to say that then really who knows what of this is true and how much yeah. of it is just fabrication? I, I think the, the deeper we're getting into this discussion, the more and more I'm thinking, wow, there was just really nothing to hang your hat on mm-hmm. here. Was this really even a system? There could have been nothing there. <laughs> well, 
Well, except that the crew had heard of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so well, something they, was going they on. Heard from, they heard of it from people who claimed to have been there. <laughs> because they were programmed to say that they were there. Ah. Mm-hmm. The plot course, thickens. Yeah, of course they did fly past it, though. Yes, they and did. And see ships coming from it, so. All right, yeah, Galifron is a real system that people n- have never escaped from. Can we say that with a degree of positivity? I think we can. Okay. <laughs> we'll take that as a yes. All right. Um, but then we, then we come back to the unraveling of, of the plot, okay. uh, of the doctor's um, goal of smuggling out this information. Here, here we are talking about the Commonwealth again, and Dylan asks the question, or, or, or makes the statement, that at some point when they stop, when they turn their backs on basically the ideals mm-hmm. that he set them up with and intended for them to have, once they stop, uh, once they start turning their back on those ideals, then he stops serving the Commonwealth. And here we come back to this question: serving them in what capacity? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we haven't really established what Dylan is doing right now for the Commonwealth, and yet we're continuing to face problems that the Commonwealth is either causing or is turning a blind eye to, uh, to, to severe injustices that are being uh, done to other people. Right. In such a short space of time, too. <laughs> yeah, and, and I actually, the more I think about it, I think, because we were saying last week, what happened in such a short period of time? How did this go so wrong so fast? Yeah. Um, now, after watching this episode, and the more I think about it, it actually makes more sense. This is a commonwealth that is completely in its infancy. I mean, it's got no feet under it, right? It's made up of worlds who have done things their own way for the last 300 years. Mm-hmm. The, the ideas that, that, that Dylan brings to them... I guess maybe they sound great in theory, but that's not the way we've done things for a very long time. Yeah. We've kind of got our own bureaucracies set up. We've kind of got our own system of uh, of justice and intelligence and everything. We kind of got our own way of doing that. It's not exactly the way that the old Commonwealth did things. The old Commonwealth was established, maintained, and run by the veterans. And then the other other worlds and species, the Perseids, the humans, they were just part of it. Yeah. They were cooperating with the way that the veterans set everything up. True. We don't have that now. Now we've got one man with his ideals and his way of remembering the way that things were trying to convince these people that they haven't done this. You know? Um, I'm just not sure that all these people are really fully on board with everything that was the old Commonwealth, but that is still what Dylan sticks to. Because when he when he makes that comment that you were just that you were just referring to, he's talking about when when the Commonwealth abandons the ideals that it stands for or that it stood for. I mean, seriously, the Commonwealth is now three weeks old? If. If that. Yeah. I mean... 
No, that's an excellent point. I hadn't thought of it that way. And I, I do I, I appreciate that viewpoint. Um, basically what I'm hearing you say is the sands have been shifting so much over the last three hundred years that things are so jumbled up that the ideals that applied three hundred years ago, whoever's in charge of the Commonwealth, and we still don't know who exactly that is, there are figureheads, uh and, and admirals and captains and whatnot that are telling Dylan, you know, let these people go. There are those people in the Commonwealth, but what you're saying is they have to kind of pick and choose their ideals and their battles in order just to kind of bring some cohesion and semblance of order mm-hmm. between the systems. Yeah, I don't... And that that makes yeah. sense to me, yeah. Yeah, I'm just not sure that things are really gelling at this point. Yeah. Well, after three weeks, yeah. what government would... Yeah, <laughs> be gelled after three weeks. Seri- yeah, seriously. Yeah. I mean, and and you're talking about, and you're talking about fifty worlds. Yeah, all of them have done. Things. Well, of course, at three weeks, it could be sixty or seventy by now. Yeah, and well, and let's not figure, let's not forget that some of those are Nietzscheans. Yes, so, <laughs> that's know. a tall order. Oh uh, no, that's a good point. So what what you're saying is we were a little harsh last week, a little too quick to uh, judge. Um. You know what? I don't think no, no. I don't think I would say too quick to judge, but I think that maybe this week we do have a little bit better understanding of why. And it's not necessarily because they flipped that fast. They just haven't got there yet. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this question. Okay. Has Dylan judged too quickly? Do you feel like he has judged too quickly? Mm, no. Okay. No, I don't think so because because he hasn't turned his back yet. If he had turned his back in this episode, then I would say, okay, yeah, maybe that was judging a little too quickly. Um, even still, I mean, it's his commonwealth. He built it. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. He wants them to hold to a certain ideal, but the reality is they're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Um, yeah. I'm going to have to take that... Uh, going forward as we continue with these episodes in season three, as we continue to interact with the Commonwealth, as I think we might do going forward. Yeah, they could be around for a while. <laughs> um, let's talk about, let's talk about trance for a second, if we could. Sure. I, there was it's a been little, a while. Yeah, there was a little bit, I don't know, this seems like a character thing. A little bit of an interaction between trance and Numa who is the doctor's alter, uh, was it a holograph? Was it a holographic projection or some sort of weird plastic contraption over him? Anyway. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so Numa okay, is, yeah. is the, the guy in the, the botan- botanical room mm-hmm. playing with the flowers and whatnot and makes the comment that you alluded to in the summary. I have a beautiful person inside. <laughs> little tongue-in-cheek there. Mm-hmm. Little, yeah. uh, little foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Did you notice Trance backing away from him? She was she was obviously recoiling from him and backing away physically. Hmm. And I'm just wondering, we know Trance is a woman or a, <laughs> a, 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 a thing yeah. capable of standing up for herself or itself, right? I mean, yeah. she can handle herself in a fight. Yeah. I think she could handle... An old man carrying a flower. 
yeah. would think. Well, we don't know what kind of flower that was. <laughs> this is true. Could be like the one the Joker had yeah, in Batman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, barring something like that, okay. even even with that, I think she would still be able to handle herself in a fight. I'm just curious, why would she back away from him? Did she know and just didn't let Dylan in on it at that point? Was she just waiting to see if if and when he would make that connection? Did she know that that was the doctor in disguise? And even if that was the case, why would she still back away from him? Why did she act intimidated? Uh, you know what? I don't know. Um, honestly, when I saw that, all I saw was just what everybody else is doing of staying away from the crazy person. <laughs> yeah. You know, I okay. mean, it, it's kind of what you do, right? I mean, you're walking down the street in New York City and one of these people come up and start bugging you, right? Yeah, yeah. You just, you eh, smile I, I, and you walk away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking her body language, the expression on her face, it was one, to me anyway, of intimidation. And I think we're at a point now where I don't think trance has to be that way. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was just a, a bad call in how to play the part or if they're making some, you know, trying to telegraph some sort of something about trance that we haven't thought about. Hmm. You know what? I'm not going to disagree with you and say that that's not it. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say that it was probably. Uh, a direction thing, just just letting us know that Trance is uncomfortable with this person because he's crazy. I mean, it's what everybody else was doing. They try to engage somebody, or they walk up on somebody, and they start acting crazy, and they react like you do to someone who's acting crazy. Yeah. I okay. And, and I'm, it could be what you're saying, and if it is what you're saying, then you know that's a whole lot deeper. And and I'm sorry that I missed that. All right. Well, mm-hmm. if we don't have an answer, that's fine. We can move okay. on. What about Tear? There were a couple things about Tear. Yeah. Yeah, there were. Um, the very first thing I, no- I noticed about Tear was at the very beginning, he seemed very un-Nietzschean with, uh, you're going to have to remind me of the kid's name again, the Karate Kid. Odakirk. Odakirk? No. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, right? Steve, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, Odorick. Odorick. Uh, okay, Oderick, who, he's the one at the very beginning, he's stealing everybody's oxygen, right? Yes. Okay. Um, first of all, I'm kind of surprised to see that that's something that didn't play out more uh, as of his character, you know, because he seems like he's the one that's stealing everyone's oxygen, he thinks, think, think he's going to be a little bit more devious, yeah. right? Uh, he doesn't end up turning out to be that way. No, very philosophical. Yeah, it's just at the very beginning. <laughs> when it comes down to, to staring death in the face, all that philosophy is gone. He's yeah. just looking for air, right? Right. right. Um, but I thought that whole thing was very un-Nietzschean of Tyr because he kept pulling the mask away from him and telling him, you got to share. Yeah. Whereas it seems like the Nietzschean viewpoint would be survival of the fittest. Yeah. If you can fight off the rest and hog the oxygen, mm-hmm. you deserve to live. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I can see where you're going with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think this that leads off this discussion about Tyr and the way we see Tyr presented as a character mm-hmm. in this episode. As you mentioned, very un-Nietzschean-like. 
for most of the episode. Yeah. Um, there are the interactions with Oderic, uh, which were classic. <laughs> the, when he knocks him down, mm-hmm. I, I had to laugh at the comment. Um, what, what did he say? Something on that. Oh. Struggle with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Struggle with that. Um, you, you know, he had the lines that were very Nietzschean, very Tyr Anasazi. But in the end, what we notice him do is is something that's truly selfless. Mm-hmm. And throughout this entire episode, we see these interactions with Tyr and others, and particularly Tyr and Dylan, where Tyr is very warm. I mean... He's very, uh, very comfortable. Yeah, with Dylan and mm-hmm. and smiling, familiar, and friendly. Very, yes, yeah, yeah. And, and these are things that we are really not used to seeing in Tyr Anasazi. And then with him making that sacrifice there at the end to go in there and get Harper out and to, to sacrifice himself to the to the mob there. Yeah, it, it just seemed very unnichian. Yeah, I think the season one and season two tier is from the very beginning going to be like, you know what? These people are going to be a lot of trouble for us for the next 43 minutes. Let's just space them all. Yeah. <laughs> Can we do that, Dylan? Oh, no, of course we can't, right? Because of your ideals, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, he, he's making all the sacrifices. He's He's saying nice things about other people. <laughs> yeah. He's talking about how indispensable Harper is. Because the ship needs an engineer and mechanic, right? Dylan is indispensable because the ship needs a captain. Um, yeah, up to this point, the only person that Tyr has ever deemed as indispensable is Tyr Anasazi. Right. And captain, well, Tyr could take that role too. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. Uh, and even then, after he does volunteer... To go in instead of Dylan, right? Um, I, I'm 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 a little concerned for for Tyr. You might be right about about the effect that losing the bone blades has had on him. <laughs> yeah, because now all of a sudden he's gone soft on everybody, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And he was not much good in a fight. That's true. He went down really quick. Yeah. Uh, Compared to the one that he was trying to protect, Dylan. Yeah. Because Dylan just went in there and he whooped them all. <laughs> Mopped the floor with I mean, them. he's making jokes as he's beating them up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right? So, yeah, I'm a little bit concerned for Tyr yeah. on all of this. So, if he's going to end up being a nice guy, then that's cool. But you can't be the nice guy and still think that you've got all the bravado... And and the toughness that you still had when all of a sudden you know, you, you got to be one or the other. You got to make a personality adjustment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or at least change the way that you size yourself up against other people now. Right, because he, he did. He walked into the room with that. I, I, I am Tier Anasazi. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he got a few punches in, uh, knocked a few people around. But yeah, he he couldn't. It didn't seem as though it was the same aggressive Tyr Anasazi that we would have seen in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Of course, he also did promise to not kill anybody. That is true. Yeah. That is true. But I think his part of carrying out that promise was not walking in with a large gun. Okay. 
But uh, in any case, yeah, uh, that's that's an excellent point. Yeah, we've definitely seen a a shift in Tyr's personality, uh, and I think it was very blatantly noticeable, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when Dylan and Tyr were interacting with each other. I thought, yeah, you mentioned it last week, and I humored you, but honestly, I didn't see it. I was just like, you know what, Tyr's not in a combat situation right now. Whatever. Um, yeah, but it. There was a lot more of it this week. Yeah, yeah, and certainly. and it kept happening, happening over and over again too. Mm-hmm. Not, really. Not really. I don't really have no. anything else. Yeah. Okay. So we'll keep an eye on our good friend Tyr Anasazi and see what happens in further episodes. Uh, Ryan, do you happen to have a quotation for the first of this episode? Yeah, you know what I do. The rabid dogs of Galifron can be trained to drool at the ring of a bell doesn't stop them from biting. A bit on point, don't mm-hmm. you think? Yeah. You want to take this one first? You know what? It's, a, it's an I, easy setup there. I know, I know. And actually, I was going to say, because what I always do is I, I read the quote, and then I ask you, so what do you think? And then you hit everything that I was going to say, and then I sit there like <laughs> like I wasn't thinking about it at all. Like, yeah, that's all what I was going to say, too. Well, why don't you go first this right. time? Um. Yeah, I mean, this is just hitting us over the head with it, really. I mean, this this could not be any more appropriate for exactly what happened in this episode. Wait, wait a second, wait a second. Yeah. We're, we're, we're complaining one week about it being too vague and yeah. not on point, and now we're complaining about it being too too on the head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go, go right ahead. All right. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, it's it, it calls out Galifron by name. Um, doesn't stop them from biting. One of the Galifron, the one of the refugees, actually bit Dylan. Yes, yes, she did. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 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 of course, you know, and, and drooling. There was some drooling in there too. Yes, with that, toothpaste. You know what? Maybe that's why that shot was in there. Maybe so. That was the whole point for that. Okay. Yeah, and then obviously they came up with this saying first. And then after they were making the show, they were like, you know what? We have something about drool. <laughs> we need to have someone drooling yeah. in here. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. All right. Um, of course, I mean, this is this is referring to Pavlov's dog. Yes. And the um, conditioning that that is done by the doctor, right? Um, and in the end, it works, but it doesn't. It works to serve the purpose of the information that they're trying to get out, but they bite back. They don't just bite Dylan. I mean, they're fighting against. I mean, they're fighting against Yanomani too, yeah. without knowing who he is. Yeah, they're fighting it. Um, so they're 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 biting Pavlov, and it's interesting. This was uh, Commonwealth Year forty three eighty nine, so. If I'm correct on my dates, this is well after the events depicted in this episode. I, I hate to make a break in the tape here, but we just had to do a little fact-checking. Um, yeah, this quote is credited to Reflections of Rim Salt, Commonwealth Year 4389. Okay, first of all, that mm-hmm. Reflections of Rim Salt, is, is that a put-down? Is that calling people on the uh, in rim space salt of the earth? Basically, mm. is, is that is that what that re- reference is? I thought they were talking about margarita glasses. 
even better. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. With that established, proceed with your with your comment. All right. Uh, so forty three eighty nine. That is about five thousand years ago in universe. Yeah. That means that. Go ahead and say what you just said to me. Okay. So Galifron has been essentially five thousand years of crazy town. Yeah. And I'm kind of sorry that we didn't know about this already because I can't. That may have changed some of our discussion earlier. Could have, yeah. Not a lot, but just talking about how long this has been going on. Yeah, the dysfunction isn't the result of just decades of war. The dysfunction has been systemic. Millennia. <laughs> Millennia. Yes. Right. Um, and apparently. They have been using this same form of of conditioning, and or, 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 or variants this, of it. Or is this prophetic? Somebody saw this coming five thousand years ago, mm, possibly. Yeah, because the events described there five thousand years in the past happened in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does seem very prophetic. It also seems like writers telegraphing what's going to happen in the episode. Maybe, yeah. Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in the context of universe and what we learn from it, this you know, this is a very interesting quote. Uh, mm-hmm. More so, uh, now that we've started talking about it, than what I originally gave thought to. My original thought was, yes, a bit on the nose. Mm-hmm. But taking that, this, this was written 5,000 years previous or prior to these events that we see taking place on the Andromeda. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This makes it, this makes this place a lot more interesting. And yes, no one goes there (laughs) (laughs) because it's crazy town. Yeah. Okay. Did, did you have any more thoughts to add to that? No, uh, I I think uh, a lot of what you said, I agree with. See, how do you like it? (laughs) Well, you know what? We learned something together. Yeah. And that made it just that much more interesting. Yeah, you're right. And and now the listeners have been brought in on it as well. Okay. So I think we're done here. Okay. Ryan? Yep. Mad to be saved. What did you think about this episode overall? Meh. Meh. Really? Meh. Yeah. um, there's, There's the ongoing story of what is the Commonwealth. Yeah. What's happening with it? What is the state of the, and I'm using air quotes, Commonwealth government system, right? Right. We, it doesn't really seem to be working right now. I don't think Dylan's happy with the way things are going. He had his chance to be a big part of it, and I think he might be starting to regret that. Mm-hmm. He also might be not regretting it because now he would be part of this okay i'm going to say part of the problem but i don't mean part of the problem as in causing the problem but he would be part of something that is a problem yes does that that make sense yeah yeah okay and he would be in a position where i still don't think that he could fix it too many moving parts yeah at this point too many moving parts and not enough time and not the same ideals, no veterans. Seriously, I think this is a huge problem. Yeah. No veterans, because that's what the entire system's commonwealth hinged on, was the veterans. Now I'm getting back into discussion of the universe. Let me get back to the episode, what I think of this episode. Right. Sorry about that little derailment <laughs> okay. there. Um, I tend to do that. 
it was an interesting episode, I think, um, just just for the, you know, the the, the mind games of it. Um, the idea that you can plant information, you can plant codes in someone's mind that can be read by a machine in order to... And, and the, the people don't even realize what it is. Yeah. You know? All they know is they've been... They've been poked and prodded and tortured and conditioned for something. And when you say something, they go crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and they're not in much better state when you're not saying the word that drives them crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but again, that's the cover. Can't you also do this to somebody and otherwise leave them normal? Well, and Angelica seemed normal. Pretty much, yeah. For the most part, she did. And you know what? We didn't talk about that at no, all. But no, but I would didn't. like to know why everybody else was insane, and she was mm, not as insane. Yeah, I, I had a thought about that, mm-hmm. and and I just I don't wonder if the doctor held her in some sort of regard different than the rest of the people that he experimented. Maybe, on. or maybe he was her cover. Possibly. If she's the one that's supposed to say that she's the leader of the resistance. We were certainly led to believe that. You can't have her, you know, just going cuckoo all over yeah, the place. Yeah. We we were certainly um, expected or led to believe that she was somehow m- culpable. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the others were just crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, you're right. That may have been by design. Okay. But basically, boiling down to the question at hand... Just meh. I'm I'm going to stick with my original answer. <laughs> okay. Meh. Yeah. All right. It was all right. It was not awful. Middle of the road, huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um. I I guess in my in my turn, I will say this. Um. Uh, I love the ship. I mentioned that at the outset. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I was thoroughly impressed with that. It was nice to see something different. It was different. Yeah. And I enjoyed it for that. Um. Then too. As I had mentioned, I gave the call out to the wardrobe department yeah. in the in the trivia. Um, I think they did a great job, not just with the little jumpsuits that the crazy crazy people had on. I actually liked what they've done, what they're doing with the wardrobe for the crew. Okay, um, Becca had an interesting outfit on, and I'm not talking about the uh, fishnet undergarment. <laughs> That <laughs> she apparently has on now. All right. Uh, there, there was at one point she was wearing a jacket, and to me it screamed space thriller, mm. <laughs> or thriller in space. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Wait, that was Captain EO, wasn't it? Okay. Back in the old Disney days. Um, no, it, she had an interesting jacket on, and I'm not a I'm not a wardrobe guy. I'm not a clothes guy. Mm-hmm. I think I've said that on the show before, and yet yep. I keep coming back to at times. I'm really intrigued by the uniforms or the clothing that the crew has on. And I think they're doing a good job. We should add an extra segment to the show. What did we learn about our podcasters? <laughs> uh, okay. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, production value okay. for this show, to me, was excellent. I like the guest stars that mm-hmm. we had for this week. Um, very interesting characters. Yeah. Even if one of them was the Monopoly man. Um <laughs> Which, with Dr. Yanamani, was the Monopoly guy. Um, but it, that aside, it, I, I enjoyed the guest actors. I enjoyed the production value of the show. It was enjoyable, if a bit disturbing at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the imagery was okay. a little disturbing. But uh, all in all, I actually thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Um, 
initially, I was a little put off by the Commonwealth and where it was coming from. Yet another episode where this very young Commonwealth seems to be going bad very quickly. But I think in this conversation, you've actually helped lift my opinion of the Commonwealth, perhaps. Okay. And um, ha- have made some of their some of the discrepancies and some of their possibly failings um, not seem so uh, Machiavellian. Okay. And so, you know, that, that I'm going to take that going forward in further uh, episodes as we continue to watch. Okay. So, yeah, I, I did like this episode. Okay. Let me ask you this. Okay. What did you think about the laughing freeze frame ending? Oh, let's see. Um, how, what did I, did I totally block that out? Okay. I exaggerated. It was not a freeze frame, (laughs) but it was a joke at the end. Everybody laughs. Ha 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 ha. Um, the, the really weird camera work when Dylan's talking to all of the patients or refugees, what are we calling them now? Just the jumpsuit, uh. Would you call them the jumpsuit mafia? The jumpsuit, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. The jumpsuit <laughs> mafia. <laughs> All right. Uh, the jumpsuit brigade. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, it was kind of weird. I'm not sure exactly why the camera down there was panning back and forth to the different uh, to the different characters as Dylan's addressing them. But anyway, yeah, uh, I, I'm. I recall what okay. you're what you're discussing there. Um, you know what? At the, I didn't react in the moment. It didn't strike me as being 80s television, mm-hmm. if that's what you're referencing there. Yeah. Um, and then, but, okay, is they end with, well, you think they end with the laugh, but then Harper has to get one more line in. Hey, he stole my nano welder. <laughs> yeah, that's Which, true. Which, by the way, apparent, apparently Dylan's just going to let that go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he did not care. Yeah. Uh, you know... It was for an episode that was supposed to give us some disturbing imagery. Mm-hmm. I think they had. I think they felt like they had to do a little bit of a balancing act there at the end and make it lighthearted and make sure we all knew these people are going to be okay and our crew is going to go about being who they are. <laughs> well, do they think we're stupid? <laughs> okay, that brings up a discussion of why we're getting episodic television now okay instead of serialized storytelling which is what we initially started out in the first season and a half yeah yes okay i think the network or the the production company that it was producing this show very much viewed us as being dumb we have to do just single episodes that individuals are going to be interested in instead of trying to string together a overarching plot hmm well, that's too bad. I, I agree. Yeah. But you know what? As far as episodic television goes, this is what you get. And and it, it, you know, it does what it's supposed to. It entertained me. Yeah. If a little bit cheesy at the end, I, I, I'll give it a pass. Okay. But I don't, I don't do that lightly. Okay. It starts to stack up after a while okay. and becomes toxic okay. to a point. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Okay. <laughs> How did you? Are, are you wanting me to say I didn't like the no, episode? No, 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 no. Of okay. course not. I'm okay. just, I'm just, you know, 
Maybe things that you may have forgotten about. <laughs> Remind me of something else, then. How did you feel about the very quickly budding romance between Dylan and Angelica? Uh, it was nice to not see Dylan be completely awkward. I mean, she wasn't completely out of the hangar bay yet. And she's already right. hanging on Dylan. Yeah. Yeah, she was grateful. Apparently. <laughs> very grateful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was my thought as I was watching it happen. I was like, wow, Dylan didn't freeze up. <laughs> I, you know, you half expected the guy to faint and fall to the full crumple of the floor and he didn't. No. He stood there yeah. and took it like a man. I, yeah. Um, but you don't expect that from Dylan and not just because he can sometimes be awkward. You, you know but- what, you know what made me, what put me off just a little bit Okay, is the fact that we've come back around to this Rami being jealous yeah. about that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. It, se- it seemed like that hadn't been as big a deal. That and was, then now, now it's front and center on the that screen. That was going to be my next point. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but there again, I mean, that's just, that's Rami. That's the AI. That's the ship. So yeah, no, I, I, I gave those a pass. You not no, I'm not trying to convince you to not like this episode because I don't not like this episode. Okay. I'm just, it just seems I'm like just, you're trying awful hard here. Well, it just... <laughs> I think you like this episode a lot more than I think you should. That's all. Okay. <laughs> wow. All That's right. okay. That's all right. That's all right. You can do that. You can think what you think. I can think what I think. What I want to know is, what about our listeners? What do our listeners think? Am I being too hard on this? Is Ethan giving this show too much of a pass? Was it really that bad? Was it really that good? Let us know. And they can do so by sending us an email to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on the social media on Facebook and Twitter using the... Not the hashtag. Using the handle at AndromedaPod on both of those places. We're also on Podbean. We're www andromedaseries.podbean.com where you can find every episode that we have done to this point. We are also on iTunes, and if you listen to us there, please subscribe. And if you subscribe, give us some stars. Maybe even a review. We'd certainly appreciate that. Good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson for lending us his voice again this week for the opening quote. We are an Age of Geek production, and we hope you will join us back here again next time when we consider the episode Kui Bono. Kui Bono.